welcome to the Vascular Forum Podcast. My name is Carlota Fernandez Prendes. My name is Agla Pabellolita. This month's editor's choice is Detection of Late Complications After EVAR and Implications for Follow-up Based on a Retrospective Assessment of a Two-Center Cohort, authored by Hassan Vaderkan and colleagues. The number of EVARs has been increasing exponentially during the last decade. Notwithstanding its good short-term results, mid- and late-term complications remain the Achilles heel of this minimally invasive technique, with higher long-term complication and re-intervention rates than open surgery, and an estimated 1-4% annual AAA rupture rate. Quick identification of these complications is key. However, there is no consensus on the ideal follow-up protocol, and even the clinical benefit of surveillance itself is questioned. Yearly CTA, the golden standard of EVAR surveillance, is associated to large amounts of accumulated radiation and contrast exposure. The recent 2019 ESVS AAA guidelines suggest a shift from the prior EVAR yearly CTA scan follow-up mentality to dividing patients into different risk categories and indicating imaging techniques accordingly. For post-operative CTA and then at 5-year follow-up in low-risk patients and a more intense surveillance program in patients with end-of-leak or short-sealing zones. However, this has encountered a somewhat controversial response from the vascular community. Optimal follow-up protocols that permit minimizing exposure to contrast in radiation while guaranteeing a quick and accurate detection of complications remain to be clearly defined. And we come to this editor's choice paper. What exactly was the objective of the study? The aim of the study was to identify the incidence of post-EVAR complications, whether they were associated with the presence of symptoms, their timing, and the imaging modality with which they were diagnosed, either CTA or Doppler ultrasound. All right, so how did they try to do that? What design did they use for the study? The authors performed a retrospective analysis of data gathered from a prospective registry. They evaluated all patients who had undergone EVAR procedures in two Swedish centers, the Uppsala University Hospital and the Gevle Hospital, during a 15-year period, specifically between January 1998 and December 2012, with the last follow-up registered in October 2016. Patients were identified from the prospective Swedvask registry and local surgical registries at each participating centre. The two centres performed up to 45% of aortic repairs by EVAR in 2012, with both cohorts of patients being similar, with no significant differences regarding clinically significant or imaging-detected complications, reinterventions, rupture and aneurysm-related mortality. How did they select the patients who were included in the study? What were inclusion and exclusion criteria? They selected patients with an infrarenal aortic or aortoiliac aneurysm treated by standard EVAR, regardless of whether they were performed in an elective or urgent setting. They excluded patients with isolated iliac aneurysms, prior aortic surgery, or complex endovascular repair, including chimneys, fenestrated, branched, or thoracic endografts. How did they follow the patients? Both centers performed both routine CTA and Doppler ultrasound as their standard follow-up for years, which provided dual imaging modalities within three months to compare their accuracy in detecting post-EVAR complications. The rate of DUS examination increased slightly throughout the years, from 42% in 2004 to 2006 to 50% in 2010 to 2012. 
How did the authors define post-EVAR complications? Post-EVAR clinically significant complications were defined based on the reporting standards for EVAR and include endograft migration of 10 millimeters or more, aneurysm rupture, type 1 or 3 endoleak, undefined endoleak, sac expansion larger than 5 millimeters in the presence of a type 2 endoleak or without any clear endoleak, graft limb thrombosis, and endograft infection. Type 2 endoleaks without sac expansion were not regarded as a clinically significant complication and thus were not assessed in this report. Clinically significant reinterventions were defined as any intervention performed to manage or prevent the aforementioned complications. Aneurysm-related mortality was defined as death resulting from aneurysm rupture or any complication within 30 days of the operation. How many patients were finally included in this study? 454 AAA patients, 81% men, of which 279 came from the Uppsala cohort and 160 from the Gevle cohort, were treated with EVAR during the study period. 15 patients died within the first 30 post-operative days and were excluded from further analysis, resulting in a total of 439 finally included patients. The mean preoperative aneurysm diameter was 63.6 mm, 64.2 mm in men and 60.4 mm in women. The median follow-up was 5.2 years. How many and what complications were detected? 118 patients, that is 27% of the cohort, developed 176 complications, with 42 patients, 9.5% of the cohort, developing more than one complication. Almost 40% of the complications occurred during the first post-operative year, 25% during years 2 to 3, and 20% during years 4 to 5. Approximately half of the graft limb thrombosis in types 1 and 3 endoleaks occurred during the first year, while expansion as a result of type 2 or without a clear endoleak and post-implantation ruptures occurred more evenly spread out during the follow-up period. There were no significant differences in age, indication for operation, preoperative aneurysm diameter, overall survival, and type of endograft used between patients with and patients without complications. What about patients treated within or outside instructions for use? Did the authors evaluate this aspect? Well, actually, they did. 33% of patients in the no-complication group were treated outside IFU, and 41% of patients with complications were treated outside IFU, without statistically significant difference between both groups. Was the incidence of complications stable throughout the period covered by the study? To answer that question, the authors compared patients treated between 1998 and 2005 versus those treated between 2006 and 2012, hypothesizing possible differences with older and newer devices and or operator experience. Actually, the authors did not find any differences between the two groups, with 26% of complications in both groups. Nor did they find any differences in reintervention rates, 25% and 24%, respectively, at five-year follow-up. How many of these complications were symptomatic? 106 complications, that is 60% of them, were detected by surveillance imaging, of which 82, or 77%, required reintervention. Most endoleaks and sac expansion without a clear endoleak were asymptomatic. 70 complications, or 40% of them, were symptomatic, of which 62, 88.5% required reintervention. Eight patients were not intervened, three graft infections, four patients with post-implantation rupture beyond rescue, and one patient with a type 1 endoleak with disseminated cancer. The 
complications that prompted symptoms were mainly graft thrombosis, rupture or infection. These are not minor complications, as the vast majority resulted in intervention. The post-EVA rupture rate was 3.6%, with a median time to rupture of 3.8 years, range between 6 months to 10.6 years. The 30-day mortality of these patients was 44% overall and 25% for those who underwent re-intervention, mostly endovascular. Two-thirds of these patients had imaging within 12 months before rupture and two-thirds of these were normal. The other showed expansion with or without type 3 endoleak. Think back. The whole point of EVAR is prophylaxis, to avoid AAA rupture and AAA-related death. So this 3.6 rupture rate, some of it without a previous hint, is a concern. Another dreaded complication is graft infection, which occurred in 1.8% of the cohort. The medium time to infection was 1.3 years, with a range of 1 month to 6 years. The related death was 37.5%, with 50% death of the graft explantation cases. Did the development of complications affect the late survival of the patients? Surprisingly not. Overall survival was over 80% at 2 years, under 80% at 3 years, and about 60% at 5 years. The paper includes a Kaplan-Meier graft where the survival curve for patients without complications was somewhat better, but with no statistical difference to the one of patients with complications. Can we assume that the reinterventions the asymptomatic patients went through probably protected them from developing future symptoms and maybe even rupture in AAA-related death? Possibly, although this is an observational study so it is impossible to know for sure. And the question gets even harder to answer when we read that the compliance rate with imaging follow-up in the study cohort was only 59.2%, with 80% of patients attending the 6-month follow-up visit and the number dropping to under 60% in the 1- and 2-year follow-up visits. Furthermore, there were no significant differences between compliant and non-compliant patients in the rate of complications, re-interventions, or aneurysm-related death. This is very thought-provoking. What is the true clinical value of post-EVAR follow-up protocols, then? And are we prophylactically treating patients who would never suffer a AAA ruptured anyway, but die from unrelated causes? You also mentioned that the authors analyzed imaging modalities they had used, duplex ultrasound and CTA. What were their findings? A total of 54 patients with complications had dual imaging within three months. The Kappa coefficient between both detecting clinically significant complications was 0.91, indicating a good agreement between both modalities. Regarding CTA as the gold standard, DUS had a sensitivity of 89%, specificity of 99%, and a negative predicted value of 97%. DUS did not detect two type 1A, one type 1B, and one type 2 endoleak with expansion, all of them with short sealing zones. There was full agreement for type 3 endoleaks and graft limb thrombosis. What were the main limitations of the study? The main limitations of this study, as stated by the authors, include its retrospective and observational nature, the loss of data through non-compliance, and the lack of blinding in the comparison between the two imaging modalities. So to sum up, the key data here is that in a cohort of 439 EVAR patients, over 1 in 4 developed one or several complications over the first post-operative years, especially in the first two, with no clear risk factors, 60% of whom were asymptomatic and found in routine imaging with good reliability of duplex ultrasound accepting cases with short or inadequate seal. 
Most complications prompted reintervention with similar survival between patients with and without complications, good or bad follow-up compliance. What are the take-home messages? First, long-term results of EVAR are still not guaranteed, and the incidence of complications and reintervention is far from negligible, about one in four. This is not the only study to offer such figures. A meta-analysis published in 2013 reports reintervention rates of 16 to 33% and rupture rates of 1 to 4% at five-year follow-up. This is most important for decision-making and informed consent. Second, more than half of the complications will be asymptomatic before they become truly symptomatic and may be lethal. And the first two years are the most relevant for the development of these complications. Third, stratifying patients to receive follow-up with DUS or CTA makes sense. CTA does seem necessary in some cases, especially with short sealing zones, but not in the rest, with DUS as the main routine modality, thus reducing accumulated radiation and costs. Fourth, the lack of apparent clinical consequences of not complying with the follow-up protocol is most intriguing and nudges at us to go back to the beginning and question the whole thing. We need specific studies addressing this issue. The present times challenge us to re-evaluate everything we do, including net clinical benefit, efficiency and cost-effectiveness. This is a gap in knowledge that must be addressed. We encourage you to read the full-text paper in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery, Year 2020, Volume 60, Issue 2, pages 171 to 179, and draw your own conclusions. Look out for the next Vascular Forum podcasts. They're all available in SoundCloud, Spotify, and egbsreports.com. We will be back next month with the next Editor's Choice paper. Talk to you soon.